Yeah, so what's a stanchion? Somebody says, well, when you sit on the front row, you don't know what the stanchions are in the back. But, but I, I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about some of housekeeping, okay? Since Carrie kind of did a really good job talking about church family stuff. So if you are visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. Hope you fill out the visitor's card on the QR thing. We really are thankful for you. But if I could just take a few moments, I know uh, Emily sent out an email that kind of gave you a heads up about three things. One was that the seating would be different. This is actually the way the church was designed by an architect to get the most seats possible in here. And we take away that middle row, but some of you are like, I want easy access out. I understand that I'm kind of like that too. Um, but there's a couple things that's going on with this. One is that for years, we have been nursing along our sound system that we have here. It's aged and it's very limited. In fact, some of you have said to me, it's so loud. And others of you have said, I can't hear anything. And so people move around and trying to find a sweet spot and there really isn't one. And so, but we were determined to uh, get debt free before we spent a humongous amount of money on a state-of-the-art sound system, but we have spent the money and it'll be installed in a couple of weeks. And uh, even over here where on these wings where there's not much coverage right now, everybody in the whole room will have the same equal coverage. They are assuring me, the designers, and Pastor Sean, whose life is on the line, Marlena, you're in the free, but your husband will be responsible, okay? You're free. You can stay here for the rest of your life, but him? So just, just kidding, everybody. We're having fun this morning. It's going to be good, and we're excited about that. We were, supposed to, we were trying to get it done in August, but the shipping of the equipment, it took a while for it to get in. So this will happen. Um, we're expected to happen before the middle of November. So this might be maybe one more Sunday and then uh, we will have a new system. The reason why we address the chairs issues is because we will match the seating and with the install of the equipment. So they will adjust it to make sure there's coverage of all the areas. And so, so we're trying some things out. We are still in, in communication about all this stuff. Also, that back area in, in behind your left shoulder is where our middle schoolers will sit uh, during the school year because they'll come in and worship, and then they leave and go to the ministry house. And so this will help us to highlight for them. There are lots of middle schoolers that come to church, and they don't even know that there's a special equipping time for them over in the ministry house while I'm preaching here, Cole, or I think Shane's going to teach soon, and we'll be teaching over there to our middle schoolers. And I went in there the other day when, when Landon was preaching, just kind of roaming around, and I, I counted over about 30 uh, middle schoolers packed in that room over there. It's pretty amazing, everybody. And so we're, we are excited about that. We want you to be excited about that. The stanchions, we have those last three rows closed. And this is what our thinking is. You guys who come to church and you get goes right, right into worship, you don't really realize, unless you have come late, how difficult it is for you to come through those doors and see everybody standing and not know where there is a place that's free. And it's hard for our team to seat people when they come in. So it's, it, the, the reason why this is not to be controlling, 
but also to give preferential treatment to our visitors or people that maybe didn't make it on time. Then we'll pull that after worship begins. Then it gives us some empty spots there where we can seat people without trying to, you know, frustrate everybody. Does that make sense, everybody? And so those of you that have a tendency to say, I like sitting in the back and you take that little rope out and you just push it back and you sit down, you're working against us. So if, if, we, if we have them closed, it's closed for a reason. Now, I know some of you maybe have better ideas. You know, everybody in this building has a nose and everybody has an idea. I realize that, but sometimes the leadership, we just have to make decisions based on our ideas and we're open to ideas, but just kind of flow with us, everybody. Turn to somebody and say flow. All right, so that's really important. Now, let me give you a couple of other things. One is we are receiving offerings and have been for those of you that would like to invest in uh, recovery and ministry opportunities in Israel. So there's a ministry that I've become aware of called My Brother's Keeper. And this is a Jewish man who actually lives in Nolensville. He's there now. And he started, started this organization, founded this organization years ago. And right now they are there currently supporting the army with equipment and with supplies. His son and his daughter are actually in the IDF and they are fighting right now. Just like about every young person is in Israel. They're, they're defending their, uh, their family and their land. And they are in battle right now. But he also is working with recovery. Uh, several of the kibbutz that were hit, they're working. This is subdivisions that were bombed. They also are providing um, counseling and help for uh, children that have lost parents or have been traumatized. And so they are paying for therapists to help. If you want to check it out, you can check it out. We're going to send the check off this coming week. There's $2,000 that's waiting in the queue to be sent out. I'd love to double that today. So if you have a desire and you want to flow some funds in there, uh, it's, a, it's a good organization. We're going to flow the money there, and then we'll just continue to just pray about how we can help and be a support for what's going on in Israel. Can you say amen to that, everybody? And also, with that in mind, you know, uh, if you're new to the church, the first Sunday in December, we all, every year for the last several years, we have been receiving a legacy offering. This is a special offering that's beyond your routine tithes and offerings that you have been giving. We've asked everybody to pray about this, and it's one big offering. And all the money that comes in gets earmarked to advance the kingdom forward. And we're going to be doing this again this year. There's several things that I'm going to be sharing with you about concerning the vision for what's going to be happening next year. But I want you guys just to be aware of that and start praying about it and talking about it now. I don't have an amount. We're not raising. We're not doing a giving campaign. We're not suggesting you give this much and then for this much you'll get this privilege and all that stuff. We're just asking you to obey the Lord. Pray, ask the Lord, and then give as the Lord leads you. And so we'll be sharing more about that. Just wanted you to Mark that down. There are a lot of things that's going to be happening in 24, and we want, to, we want to partner with one another to accomplish some great things for the kingdom. Can you say amen? Okay. How about Ephesians? Y'all want to study it together? I just love this. I love this book. I love this study. And I am in chapter 5 today, and I'm just thrilled. I've been so eager to be able to uh, teach this. 
today. And don't you appreciate my wife for who she is? She's just the most wonderful person in the world. I just love her so much. That's really not good enough, everybody. Let's, let's give her a little bit of honor. It's just, it's just... You know, it's, I love this. It's Pastor Appreciation Month, and, and people have been sending us cards and love and all that stuff. And just today, there was a lady in the church. I won't embarrass her, but she came right up, and she says, I want to appreciate you, but I can't just appreciate you. Can, can I stay here until Carrie can talk to us? And so we're so thankful for that, and I appreciate my wife, there's no job like the job of a pastor's wife. Trust me, there's no job like that job. And she's still married to me and still comes to church. Glory to God. <laughs> Chapter 5, it can be divided into two major sections, very practical sections, with what I call a hinge verse that's right in the middle. In Chapter 3, the Apostle Paul finishes his doctrinal exhortations, and he begins to talk very practically about how that we, not only who we are is so important, but how we live is so important. And he talks about our relationship with the church in a local church at the church at Ephesus. And then he talks about how we should live in the context of marriage. The first section is how to walk right with God and others in the church. Now, I just love the church. I think it's the greatest thing going. The church, the Lord's church, is the answer for all of mankind. The whole world needs the church to come alive, be filled with the Spirit, and grow the kingdom through the church. I believe that so much. The second part of chapter 5 after the transition, he talks about how to walk right with God and your spouse in your marriage. And so that's a lot in this chapter. And it's divided by the, this one incredible principle that really gives us the help and the understanding that we need concerning our walk, whether we're walking in difficult relationships or challenging experiences in the church, or whether we're walking in difficult circumstances and challenges in our marriage. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you the very, the very first part of this chapter, he teaches us three very important things. And he says, when it comes to our walk with God and others in the church, we need to learn how to walk in love. We need to learn how to walk in the light. And we need to learn how to walk in wisdom. That's the outline for the first half, half of chapter five. Walk in love, walk in the light, Walk in wisdom. Now, we could exchange the word walk for live, right? Live your life in love. Live in the light. Live with wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read a few verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I love it whenever I'm studying and preparing to teach, and there's an outline that's just right there from the heart of mind and mind of the Apostle Paul. And that's why I said the number one point in verse one and two is walk in love. That we got to learn how to walk in love as beloved children. But I want you to notice in this verse the word therefore. I remember being in Bible college. The, the guy taught me, hey, when you're studying through the Bible and you really want to 
know what the Bible is talking about, if it begins with the word therefore, always find out what it's there for. If it begins with the word therefore, always find out what is it there for. So he's therefore, the word therefore is pointing to verses in the, at the end of chapter 4. He gives, a, there are a lot of things that the Apostle Paul says that are very practical. Landon did a great job teaching through some of those this past, past weekend. But he's, he says, therefore, walk in love. So what, what is it therefore? The end of chapter 4 much of the bad behavior that happens in relationships happens around how we talk. It's our words. We need to watch our words. Our words can be harsh and harmful and mean and ugly. We have to watch our words. And so in the, you understand, right, everybody? We've been teaching you the Bible for quite some time that the chapter divisions is not in the original manuscripts. The chapter divisions were what the translators, they put in to kind of break down, I guess, to help us understand a lot better. But a lot of times, a paragraph of thought will, con will begin in one previous chapter, and it goes all the way through the chapter break. And in chapter 4, that's what happens. And so if you go all the way back to chapter 26 in chapter 4, he said, be angry and sin not. We talked about that last week a little. Be angry and sin not. Basically, don't let your anger and your frustration leads you into sinful talk and sinful actions. Be angry and sin not. Be angry, feel the emotion, it's real. People will disappoint you, people will hurt you. Anger is a response to your disappointment, and, but don't sin. Now that's not easy. Whenever you're struggling with anger, somebody say, that's not easy. Verse 27, he also said in chapter four, don't give the devil an opportunity. So in the church, in relationships, the devil wants to exploit any conflict and turn it into some big drama. The devil is behind this a lot. He wants to turn every conflict into some big drama, but we don't want to give the devil an opportunity to make a drama out of a disappointment, a discouragement, or somebody's sinful action towards one another. We want to handle it properly maturely in the spirit. Can you say amen? But that's not easy. Say it. That's not easy. Okay. Here's the third thing he says. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you talk and text and emails and the things that you say online, but be a grace giver. When, when someone deserves judgment and you want justice, it's not easy to hold your peace. But God called us to be grace givers. Verse 41, I'm 31 of chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. In other words, push it back. Don't let the bitterness, anger, slander attach itself to you. Don't let it attach itself to you. I know that's not easy. It's another one. It's not easy. But there's help. And there is Power for you to push back against what your flesh is wanting to do. So push it away from you. In verse 32, instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Go ahead, everybody. You can say it. That's not easy. 
I know they got those little buttons that says that was easy and you just punch it and goes that was easy. Chapter four is not easy. But by the spirit, there is help for us. So that's the context of the word therefore. So the apostle Paul says, therefore, since there's these challenging things that you need to do, he says this, be imitators of God. Like little children, be imitators of God. I find this so interesting because you know, children learn by imitating their parents. Now, I hate this for some of you that hate your children right now. But if you're hating on your children, you might want to look in the mirror because I guarantee you they're just imitating what they're seeing in you. But I guess me and Carrie both woke up in a mood this morning. But it's true, everybody. As, as little children, they imitate who's it, who has influence in their life. This is why it's so important. You, we laugh about cute little things, but we need to realize that our, we, we teach our children so much by the way we behave than, rather than the words that we say. Amen? I mean, when, so when people say to you, man, you're just like your mother, or you're acting just like your father, is that a compliment or not? We're not wanting to create a drama in here, so just keep your mouth quiet. But I'm just saying, sometimes it's not. I hope it is. Do you remember the Pharisees when they were rejecting Jesus and they was in a debate? It's in John chapter 8. And the Pharisees were saying, our father is Abraham. That's who our father is. And Jesus said, no, you, Abraham's not your father. Your father is the devil. And you're acting just like your father who is the father of lies, who was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus confronted them and says, you're, you're being imitators of the fa your father, but your father is the devil. I want it said of all of us that we are imitators of God, our father. And the greatest imitation that we can have is that we become more like Christ, is that we are imitators as children of Christ who gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Isn't that sweet? That's so beautiful. Fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's almost poetic, but it's not. It's bloody. It's horrific. It's painful. It involves death. That Jesus was a fragrant offering, that sounds so sweet. But no, this was like an incense that, uh, that was, was arising to the Father's nose of, of a burnt offering that was laid at an altar, and it covered sin. You smelt singed hair and meat. It was not a beautiful smell, but it was fragrant in that Jesus, when he offered his body as a sacrifice for our sin, it produced beautiful, holy, completely forgiven sons and daughters who are totally reconciled to the Father. And even though it was gross and it was nasty and it was painful and it was bloody and Jesus paid the price for it, God the Father says this is a beautiful offering because of what it produced. And so the message is, is that there are times in our lives that we have to be willing to lay our lives on the altar for the sake of this church, for the sake of his people, and be willing to sacrifice. And can I say it? 
sometimes even suffer. But we're not going to create a drama. We're going to hold our peace and pray this thing through because like Christ, we can lay our lives down for our brothers who we want justice or revenge, but we're able to walk in love. Turn to somebody and say, just walk in love. Just like Jesus did. Okay, do you get this, everybody? In fact, can I just, can I just say that this, to walk in love involves two things. There are things that you must refuse, and there are things that you must choose. Refuse and choose. Now, you, you, you can get this in your spirit if you want to hear from God today, because if you're struggling with some hurt, offenses, pain in the church, know what I need to refuse and know what I need to choose. It's really that simple. You refuse the flesh and you choose the spirit. Okay, here's the second point. Walk in the light. Chapter five, but sexual immorality, this is verse three, and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. For there... Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you, make sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an, is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6. This is strong stuff here, everybody, but we're not going to avoid it. We're just going to talk about it on Sunday morning in prime time, even online. Hey, everybody, we're glad you're here listening to the teaching. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Here's point number two. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, we're going to back up. Are y'all ready to talk about sex a, li a little bit? Let's do it, okay? Verse 3 in the Message Bible. I want to read this to you. It's, he says it like this. He words it like this. Don't allow love to turn into lust. I really like this because I've been pastoring a long time, many decades, and I've seen people who love one another spiral out of control and become attached with an inordinate affection for one another and what began with genuine brother and sister love turns into lust. The relationship goes secret. And next thing you know, there are families that are devastated. Now, um, we were laughing and joking a while ago, but we're real serious right now. And, I, and rightfully so, we need to be. But I just want to address, we're teaching through the book of Ephesians. And just as happens today in this world, uh, people were drawn into lustful relationships in that day in their world. And we have to put guards up. Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide of sexual promiscuity. Way too many times have I 
seen this happen. In fact, he says, don't even let there be the hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. So in, a, in, a, in church relationships where there is a lot of love and affection and partnership and intimacy and prayer and support and all that, we still have to make sure they are safe boundaries in our relationships. And I know that this is difficult for some of you that might have experienced some unfaithfulness in your marriage covenant or you have been wounded. It's, it might even be uncomfortable right now but I just want to pastor us through this because it's really important for us to make sure that our love remains pure and it doesn't turn into something that is lustful and that is not right. He says, don't be deceived with empty words, empty promises. See, we, we have to guard against flirting or inappropriate joking are just things that are said that are off the cuff. I mean, we live basically in an R-rated world, right, everybody? I mean, we really do. I mean, television, commercials, online, we live in an R-rated world, and we get a little bit conditioned to it. And if you're not careful, words come out of your mouth to someone that should not really come out of your mouth. And, and, and this is why it's so important for you to guard your words. And I, I, there's no room for flirting. Guard against inappropriate sexual joking. It leads to a downhill slide. And this is so important because the scripture says, don't be deceived with empty words. These are like empty promises. I love what the apostle Paul is teaching here. He's like, look, if you are secretly unhappy in your marriage, then you are vulnerable to empty promises, empty words. And we all are in, in, involved socially with people all around us. I'm talking about things that come out of the blue. Well, if I were married to you, I would love you better than she does. Words like, I wish we could have met before we got married. These are empty words that give empty promises. There's nothing to be fulfilled in that. All that's going to do is create, it's going to turn love and affection into lust. So we have to guard that kind of thing. And, and this is why it's so important to walk as children of the light. Because if you hide things in darkness like that, the, uh, uh, off-the-cuff comments, something that was said inappropriate, and, and, you, and you, whatever stays in darkness usually grows, and it gets worse. This is one of the great things about being married is that you have an accountability partner with you. And I think sometimes we avoid the tough conversations because we don't want to have an argument. And the best thing that you can do is have that tough conversation so there's a level of accountability and it, and it gets brought into the light. If there is someone flirting, I had a lady tell me, it's been a while back, she goes, Pastor Ron, I can't help it if everybody flirts with me because I don't. I'm like, if you, if you, are, if you are a woman or a man and every time you turn around, somebody's flirting with you, somebody's saying something that's inappropriate, face the reality, you are vibing out that you're open to flirtatious talk. If I was writing this in today to the high schoolers, I would say, or to all of us, don't be vibing in church. Don't be sitting, come on everybody, turn to somebody and say, don't be vibing. Because if you're sending out a vibe, somebody's going to catch wind of the vibe 
because there's somebody that's unhappy and wants to play the game with you. I'm glad y'all are smiling right now, but I've been pastoring a long time, everybody, and we got to guard against our pure love turning into lust because we're unhappy with our relationship. We cannot give the devil an opportunity to turn what God has done that's beautiful and glorious and holy and pure and turn it into something that devastates families, marriages, and children in the congregation. Can somebody say a big amen to me right now? So keep your guard up. Shine the light on it. Tell your wife, tell your husband, honey, that person's been vibing. And, and I just need you to know, I, I'm, you know, and there, there, lots of times Carrie's watching for vibing women. So y'all just need to know this. <laughs> Glory to God. And you know, the truth is I'm watching for her. You say, well, I would never happen to me. What did you just say? Do you really think? That you are that much of a super Christian that you could not stumble into some deception? Be on guard. Watch yourself. Come on, everybody. No vibing. Shine the light on it. How do I do that? Share passwords. Don't delete text messages. I'm getting ready to get in so much trouble. If your spouse is suspicious, welcome it. Bring it into the light. I know that's not easy. Especially whenever someone is really insecure, you're married to a really insecure person. But listen, husbands, if you're married to a woman that's really suspicious of you, God gave you that woman with her blessings and with her challenges. And you just accept both of them, and it's your responsibility, you and the Holy Ghost, to make sure that she's not suspicious anymore. You say, well, other men don't have to do all of that. They're not married to your wife. You're married to your wife. And it's vice versa. If your husband is always suspicious because you're too flirtatious, you're too touchy-feely and all that stuff, and he's bringing it to you, come on, ladies. Just realize that that's your husband. That's your man. God gave him to you, and you need to make sure that he is not living in the torment of being suspicious when you walk out the door. Stop the vibing, everybody. All right? Glory to God. Did we cover that enough? Some of you want more. I'm sorry. You're going to have to deal with your spouse yourself. <laughs> Preach, Pastor Rob. Here's the, here's the third thing. Uh, Paul says we got to walk in wisdom. How appropriate is that? Walk in love. Walk in the light. Bringing, making sure there's no darkness of sexual impurity that's, that's being hidden. Bring it to light. And then walk in wisdom. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, don't be foolish. Don't be dumb. You are so dumb. Instead, understand. Get some understanding. Everybody, are you listening to me? Don't be dumb. It's just dumb to give the devil an opportunity. It's your big, your big dummy. Don't do it. This, 
I told you he was very theological in the first few chapters, and now he's just just plain. He's just lay, laying it out there, out there. Don't be dumb. Don't be foolish. Be smart, because you're going to give the devil an opportunity. And don't be careless. Have some relational awareness in the church and in your marriage. Understand. Try your best to understand what the will of the Lord is. It's it's okay and the right for you to ask in every situation. What does the Lord want out of this? How can I glorify God in this? What is the will of God in this challenge right now that I have with these church people or with my marriage? Understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? All right, everybody, say it with me. Number one, we've got to walk in love. Say it, walk in love. Number two, we've got to walk in the light. Say it. And number three, we need to walk in wisdom. This, these three things should guide us in our relationships with one another. And now here's the hinge verse. It's found in uh, chapter 5, verse 18. And this is fun too. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I find this so interesting because in, sandwiched between his exhortations to treat people right in the church and to love your husband or love your wife in your house is this hinge verse that says, don't deal with your issues with alcohol. Instead, the very opposite is what you should do, and that is get filled with the Spirit of God. Don't fill yourself up on other stimulants. We need to be stimulated by the Spirit of God because there's power, there's healing, there's glory, and there's victory, and there's no regret the next morning. This, now listen, everybody. Uh, I'm having so much fun. I love teaching the Bible. But I, want you, I hope you love hearing this and receiving this. I want you to get this because what, what Paul is saying that this is a command. Refuse something, Right? And choose something. So I'm refusing to use alcohol or any type of other stimulant to distract and comfort and to give me a coping mechanism. I'm choosing the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. I find it interesting. Galatians chapter 5, 16 says that when we walk in the Spirit, when we're Filled in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, operating in the Spirit, ordering our life in the Spirit, that's when we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what does it mean in this context to be filled with the Spirit? I'm going to give you a little quick teaching on this for the next 10 minutes, so hang with me, everybody. I find this so interesting. The Apostle Paul here Whenever he was writing to the church at Ephesus, now he's in prison, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and there is this mixture, a lot of paganism, a lot of guys coming, and men and women coming out of a, a, a partying spirit, and, and, he, and he says, don't get drunk with wine. The word that he uses for the word drunk is actually a very common word that had to do with soaking a skin, like, like the, if they... If they slaughtered an animal, they didn't waste anything, so they would take the hide and they would make it usable. So they would soak it in a uh, solution, and once it got soaked, then that 
hide became pliable. They still do it today when they're tanning hide. So it was soaking. It was the word used for soaking. Everybody say soaking. So he's like, don't, don't be soaked in wine. Don't be soaked in alcoholism, whatever. Just don't, be, don't soak yourself in that. In fact, be filled with the Spirit. The inference is that you just be soaking in the Spirit, not soaking in whatever is your preferential sin. Everybody, are you with me? So be, we need to learn what, what does that mean to be soaking because here's the idea. They knew exactly what he was saying. The idea is that, is that if we are soaked by the Spirit of God, then we are pliable, usable, and we are, uh, well, we are greatly fruitful for the kingdom of God. We can be used by God, but if we're not filled with the Spirit, how can God use us? If we're filled with wine, then we're not soaked with the Spirit. You know, because if you think about this, when a person gets drunk, they lose control. But the, but the Spirit, you know, brings the craziness of your life under control. You go home and get drunk today and watch what happens. The craziness in your life, it only gets amplified. Not All of you guys are just looking straight at me, I understand. I know most of you have no idea what it means to take a drink. But the truth is, is that when you drink too much, it amplifies, it amplifies the negative things in your life, and it stimulates them, and next thing you know, you're crying over things that you dealt with a long time ago, because it's just heightened your disappointments. The opposite of that, so when you get soaked in the Spirit, it doesn't amplify your problems, it amplifies God. Come on, are you listening to me, everybody? It doesn't amplify... It doesn't amplify your problems. It amplifies the solutions. Hello, it doesn't lead you into immorality. It leads you into the presence of God. I'm preaching better than your amen. And one baptism, you've heard it say one baptism, many fillings. When Jesus prophesied to his disciples he told them to go in the upper room because you as John baptized you with water you will in just a few days be baptized with the Holy Spirit and in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with the Spirit of God now, I want you to get this because what I want you to see is that there are two definitions or I think two applications of being filled with the Spirit one of them is an experience that happens to you the other is an experience that you, that happens with you, that you choose, something you choose. So I want you to see this um, because in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, for all of you that are grammar experts, the original Greek word is in the past, uh, I'm sorry, the present continuous tense. The presence, the present continuous tense. I'm not an English major, but I can um, I can't read an English book. And what I understand that to mean is that it is happening now, but it is going to keep on happening. An example of this, of a present continuous tense, would be the wind is blowing the leaves. The wind is, has blown the leaves, and it is blowing leaves around right now. So it has it, blown, but it's going to keep blowing. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. You've been filled with the Spirit, but keep on being filled. Hello, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but there is more filling for you. You keep on soaking. You keep on choosing. 
you keep on pursuing the things of the spirit instead of stimulating your flesh with something that conditions you to cope. Everybody, we've got to stop coping with things in the flesh and start coping with things by being filled with the spirit of God. A good translation with this, this is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great writer, got a great book on the book of Ephesians. He translates this verse this way, be not drunk with wine where in excess, but go on being filled with the spirit. Be perpetually filled with the spirit. Let it go on. Let it continue. Let it be your constant condition. All right, let me listen to me, everybody. When they were waiting in the upper room, the Holy Spirit was released. He came and it happened to them. They all experienced the Holy Spirit. When they were in the house of Cornelius, Peter was preaching. They were sitting and listening. and they were preach- He was preaching. And while he was preaching, they were soaking in the word of God. They were soaking with one another in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit supernaturally came upon them. They were filled with the Spirit. Everybody knew it. They knew it. Everybody knew it. When Peter and John went to Samaritan uh, town. They laid hands on those believers. They were filled with the Spirit. When the Apostle Paul went to uh, Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, he found some believers. He said, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we didn't even know there was. He laid hands on them, prayed for them. They experienced an infilling of the Holy Spirit. They prophesied. They spoke in tongues. This was the beginning stages of the church at Ephesus. It was born out of the powerful experience with the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be drunk with wine. Don't start, don't fall back into using wine and alcohol. Remember, you were filled with the Spirit. So get yourself full up, tanked up, filled with the Spirit. Hello, everybody. Not just one time experience, but keep experiencing that. All right. I'm doing my best to help us understand how simple this is because it's really not that complicated. There are times when we find ourselves having experiences with the Holy Spirit when we are just soaking and immersed in the presence of God. It's in prayer. It's in worship. Sometimes it's with believers. Sometimes it's alone in your prayer closet. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we love our worship nights on Wednesday nights. And so people could just, in a sense, just come and be soaked with the Holy Spirit. Just sit and let the Holy Spirit just let, let, let a fresh refreshing or infilling come. And that's a real thing. But there are other times whenever you choose the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit. There's, see, this is, this is a conflict. This is a command. Don't do something. Instead, do something. So can I be filled with the Holy Spirit on demand? Can, is this a command to me? Well, in a sense, it is a command in that you are choosing to come underneath the influence of the Spirit who dwells inside of you. First thing you got to do is recognize that the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's not an experience. He's a person. And the Scripture teaches us that we are, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. That's why we shouldn't defile our bodies because He is in us. We shouldn't grieve or quench the Spirit. He lives inside of us. Let me say it to you this way. Uh, Carrie and I, for years, have had a lot of really important, honored people stay with us. I'm talking about people from overseas, a bunch of godly people. We love having them in our house for the years. We've had so many. And, and, and when, we have a, when we have an honored guest, somebody really doing something for the greater, greater for the kingdom, and they're spending the night with us, I remember when our kids were little, we'd always have this family talk. Now, listen here, you guys. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now you listen here. There's somebody sleeping upstairs that's very important. And so you, I want you not to be acting like wild animals. We want you to be acting dignified. Listen, we want you to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. We don't want you to hog the desserts. Don't be whining or interrupting our conversation. There's an honored guest that's here, and we want you to honor them. See, if we in our minds understood that we have an honored guest who lives inside of us, and we don't be, need to be acting like wild animals. We, don't, we, 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 we need to be honoring to who abides within us. And I, I am filled with the Spirit of God, so I can choose to be filled with God. Listen, have you ever had somebody, you know, that, that is so influential in your life that you start looking and acting and talking like them? It's true. This is what discipleship is all about. That Jesus had his disciples, they walked with him for three years, and they called them like little Jesus people because he, was, he wanted them to be filled with him. And being filled with the Spirit means I'm filled with the influence of the Spirit of God. And when I reach for something that he doesn't want me to touch, the Spirit of God says, uh-uh, and I go back. Or when I want to walk somewhere, the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to walk. The Holy Spirit says, hey, that's off limits. And I say, yes, sir, because he's in charge. He lives inside of me. God is in my temple. I'm the temple. I exist to please him. And so when it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, I want to be filled with God. Hello, everybody. So I'm choosing that now the infilling is manifesting in the way that I come up underneath the influence, not of alcohol, but under the influence of the Spirit of God. Hello, everybody. This is how the Scripture teaches us. Don't be under the influence of wine, making a mess of your life, but be filled with the Spirit and come under His influence and His control. Walk in the Spirit. Then you can walk in love. Then you can walk in light. Then you can walk in wisdom because you're honoring the Spirit of God who leads you into wisdom and love, and light. You can give me a big amen right there. So there are experiences with the Holy Spirit. It happens to us. And there are choices with the Holy Spirit that are determined by us. That's how we walk in the Spirit. We walk out our infilling. Amen? Now, we say, how is he going to teach on marriage? It's pretty simple, really, everybody. I mean, I could spend another three, three days talking about marriage, but the same principles that work in your relationship with other believers in the church are the same things that are you apply in your marriage. This is what I believe. Spirit-filled and spirit-controlled husbands and spirit-filled and spirit-controlled wives that are walking with the Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit have a certain kind of power to make their marriage extremely special. And the principles in your marriage, you don't all of a sudden just throw all of your Christian stuff out because of the familiar of, familiarity of your relationship with one another. We should be listening to the promptings of the Spirit when we wake up in the morning, when we go to sleep at night, whenever we are engaging with our wives. So the Scripture says, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. And some of you are thinking, 
Well, that's not easy. I know. But this is when you say, help me, Holy Ghost. Help me to trust. Help me to love. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of church, his body and his, and his Savior and is himself its Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are like, well, that ain't easy. For everything that's not easy, there's power in the spirit. I remember, those of you have been with me a long time, do you remember the series I did that we titled Help Me Holy Ghost? A bunch of you walk around now and just, I mean, I hear it all the time. Life gets rubbed. Help me Holy Ghost. He's your helper. I want you to see verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Help me, Holy Ghost. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. This makes the spirit-filled marriage extremely special and incredible. There's purpose beyond you just having a partner in life. You are exalting and advancing the kingdom of God. However, here's the challenge. That each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know what makes that easy? Being filled with the spirit. You know what makes it incredibly difficult? Choosing the flesh. And so when we are filled with the spirit, there's a power that abides in us. Listen, it's, I find it so interesting. Come on, stand up with me, everybody. I, fi I find it so interesting that when you read through the book of Acts, like we did in the summer, that you find people that were already baptized in the Holy Ghost that were having subsequent infilling experiences with it. If you remember, Peter was there. We got filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but just a few days later when he's preaching, he gets arrested and he gets attacked. And they, they threaten him about preaching the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, and Peter was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit again, and it enabled him to become more bold. In fact, it happened again. They had another attack. The apostles come back and they tell the church in Jerusalem, this is what has happened. And, the, and they all pray. Now, all these people were filled with the Spirit already. And when they prayed, it says, and the place where they were praying was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, it happened to Barnabas. It happened to Paul. It happened to Stephen. It happened people that were already filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit again. You know why? Because there was a new infilling that was directly proportionate to what the challenge was that they were about to face. They were able to speak more boldly. They were able to sustain themselves against the threats and the challenges. I believe for every husband and wife in here, there is a special anointing of the Spirit available to you to be the best husband that you couldn't even dream about being and be the most wonderful wife that, you're, that you long to be. It won't happen just because you want it. It will happen when you get filled with the Spirit of God, when you surrender to who's living in the house. 
And you honor the presence of the Spirit. This is the challenge. This is why every morning when you wake up, your first prayer ought to be, help me, Holy Ghost. I want to be filled with the influence of the Spirit of God today. You are living in me not to just make me happy and help me worship God great or to give a prophecy to somebody else. You're living inside of me to empower me to be imitators of God, to be the children of God, to live like Jesus. We all have spirit-filled experiences, everybody. But I want you to think of it this way. Just as a man decides and controls whether he will whether he is going to be filled with wine or not. So it is he himself who decides whether he's going to be controlled by the Spirit or not. Would you bow your head, heads? Come on, everybody. Just lift your hands. Let me, pay a, let me pray a pastoral prayer over you today. God, here we are in your presence. Holy Spirit, you are in this place and you are dwelling in every believer. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Forgive us for falling under the influence of the world using alcohol and any other thing in our lives to cope. You, Lord, are our choice. Spirit of God, would you empower us, your people today, to watch church? To walk in the light, to overcome the darkness and the temptation of sexual impurity. Help us, Holy Ghost. And forgive us for failing or falling in those areas. And fill us with the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that we would know in every moment what the will of God is so that we can please you. I pray for every hurting marriage right now. Holy Spirit, I pray for every hurting marriage right now that there will be hope after they leave this place. And I pray, Lord, just a complete surrender to refuse and choose. To refuse the temptation of the enemy and choose the Spirit. Not just today, but forever, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. John, come on. Can you just lead us a little bit of worship? Come on, everybody. Just soak in the Spirit. Fill us up.